Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you want a da-da-da? What do you want a da-da-da? I'm not a da with a da-da-da. We could switch to Progressa da da. Oh yeah. We could switch to Progressa and sa. Mkaw. We could sa and have to buy some za. Oh yeah. Let's switch to Progressa da da and get some za with the money we saw. Yeah. Now we know we're gonna da da da. These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. It might just be the most normal thing you da da da. Quote da da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090. Marishka's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933, and Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. Let's drop the actual hockey playing puck. Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Navo and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Here I Chicago! Welcome in to the latest edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast where, guess what, folks? We have an actual game to discuss kind of my name is james Naveau from nbc5 chicago and with me as always is the one and only jay zawoski of 670 the score jay i should have put an asterisk on that because <laughs> it was the first preseason game and by god you can tell it was the first preseason game that was the preseasoniest preseason game that ever preseasoned we just cre- we just created a new word by the way uh merriam webster <laughs> forward all royalty checks to Jay Zawoski that was that was brilliant well I don't know if you noticed this too but like even the broadcast was kind of like grainy like the color was not sharp it just looked like a second rate broadcast the building was empty Pat Foley had on one of his suits from the 80s it was just not a (laughs) the whole thing just felt drab from start to finish and uh, the game itself uh, let's get right to it the game itself was not great um, but Columbus played more regulars than the Blackhawks did. Anisimov was in for the Hawks. Um, But as far as, like, the absolute sure things, he was really it, right? Uh, Eric Gustafson is probably on that level of sure thing at this point with Connor Murphy's injury and Jan Ruda's injury. Um, but I'd say Marcus Kruger is probably Kruger. a sure thing. Yes. And uh, Cam Ward also did play in the game, too. So, right. I so, guess it was like four total. Yeah. And 
you know, so those guys played fine. You know, I think they're playing not a top flight speed, nor should they in the first preseason game. I think those guys don't have much to prove. Let's just, you know, let's get to the positives because there were some. First of all, I thought Cam Ward in his in his limited time, he played half the game, played pretty well. Um, not spectacular, but, uh, you know, the goals that were scored against him were reasonable. I, I guess you'd say they weren't soft by any means. Um, and again, they had, you know, kind of the second tier roster playing for the Hawks when Columbus had some actual like good players playing. Panarin didn't play, but Felino played and Cam Atkinson played and Seth Jones played. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't want to make too much of one preseason game and I, I don't think we're going to. But I think the guys you expected to look better, even the uh, Yokoharus and the Haydens, they, they sort of stood out from the rest. And, and I think that that's probably a, a good sign, even though it's not the most exciting thing to watch in the world. It's probably a good sign overall. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. And I, I was telling you, I was looking at the box score earlier because, I mean, you watch the game and I'll be honest with you, Jay, I wasn't watching the way I usually do, which is with a uh, notepad and pen at the ready in case I see anything in the game that I want to mention on a post game show or a future edition of the podcast. So I kind of didn't really realize this at the time, but I was going back through the box score and realized that the Blackhawks forwards in 60 minutes of action accounted for a whopping eight shots on goal between the 12 of them. And then to make that even better, uh, the defensemen registered 14 shots and seven of those came from Eric frickin' Gustafson. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Aside from that, though, I like you, I was impressed with what I saw from Gustafson. He was definitely noticeable out there throughout the game. I liked what I saw for the most part from Yokoharu. Obviously, these guys are not in midseason form by any stretch yet, but Joel Quenville did go out of his way to praise Yokoharu after the game said he really liked it obviously a huge opportunity for him with uh, Connor Murphy out of the lineup for eight to 12 weeks he's a right-handed shot could definitely get a very serious look at making the opening night roster and could even end up being as far-fetched as this would have sounded at the beginning of training camp he could potentially be your top line right-handed defenseman because of the injuries to Connor Murphy and then Gustav Forsling still out of the mix. Jan Ruda's day-to-day with a groin injury. Brent Seabrook's been dealing with an abdominal issue. Basically, the runway is clear. If Henry Yokoharu can land this thing, he can get a pretty sizable role on opening night. And while that may not be ideal, nothing like a little bit of uh, learning by fire, I guess. So good first impressions for Yokoharu. I liked what I saw from some other guys in the game. Alexander 14 had a goal. Uh, we did get to see a little bit of uh, Dylan Sakura and Artem Isimov playing mm-hmm. with Victor Edsel. So lots of uh, kind of little positives, nothing like particularly crazy or groundbreaking from a team that, you know, only had 22 shots on goal. And, hey, it was still the first preseason game. Yeah. So we're going to get to the Connor Murphy thing. That's something that needs to be addressed. Um, uh, and it even got a little bit worse today. We'll, we'll definitely get to that. But just sort of staying on last night's game, you mentioned Dylan Sakura. Um and I saw this in the uh, preseason scrimmage, the training camp scrimmage as well. Offensively, I like his game a lot. Like, he definitely has an added element of speed and skill that some of these other sort of fringe forwards seem to lack. Um, he came out very early in the game uh, and generated a scoring chance very quick um, that, you know, required him to get in front of the net and, and get in tight and make some moves. And it was a nice scoring chance. And there's been some good moments from him. Uh, already in the limited stuff we've seen this this preseason I just think 
the rest of his game really needs some honing, really needs some development, and that that can come, that can come along. I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying he's a disaster by any means, but his defensive game lags way behind his offensive game, um, and I wonder what sort of leash Joel Quenville is going to have on Dylan Sakura as the season goes on. Uh, he seems to me like he's definitely in the plans. Um, I think John Hayden is another guy who seems to be definitely in the plans. He was wearing an A last night. Um, his game, by the way, I really want him to be good. And I really feel like there's going to be like a breakthrough day where John Hayden just puts it all together. And all of a sudden he's like Troy Brower or a poor man's Andrew Ladd. You know what I mean? Like a, a power forward with some scoring ability. But I think that he doesn't realize that he is not the most skilled player on the ice all the time. I see him stick handling a lot, uh, trying to make an extra move here or there. When a guy with that sort of size in the NHL, if you can do that in Rockford, cool, right? Like you can do that in college. You could do that in Rockford. You're one of the more skilled players there. But when he gets to the NHL, his talent, you know, uh, level is sort of dime a dozen. He needs to stop stick handling and just kind of play a north and south game. And I think once John Hayden starts doing that with regularity, he's going to become a much more effective player. Would you uh, go with Andrew Shaw? Young Andrew Shaw is possibly a comp for John Hayden just in the way that he kind of hadn't learned the strengths of his own game yet. And so he was trying to do stuff that he maybe necessarily wasn't uh, capable of really doing on a consistent and quality basis. Yeah, I think when you put it that way, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the prototype player, they're pretty different. Hayden's a big kind of lumbering guy where Shaw is kind of like a small, like kind of uh annoyance sort of a player but in right. that in that form of like dude you're in the nhl now you, there are certain things you can and can't do at this level um i think hayden is learning that the hard way i saw a uh, several times last night where he was just kind of trying to make that extra stick handle and just it got away from him he doesn't have the sort of speed he doesn't have the sort of hands to pull that stuff off uh you know here in the show as the kids call <laughs> it um yeah. i like him i like hayden's game a lot i, I think he's a good kid too i just want to see him adapt his game appropriately so he can be the most effective player he can be at the NHL level. Because they need a guy like that. They need a power forward. They need a guy that can park in front of the net and score some goals. They, that's something they, they still lack. And and if Artem Anisimov is your most physical forward, um, that's probably not ideal. That's not, that's not your <laughs> ideal scenario no. for sure. And like, I, I think your Troy Brower comp in terms of like the actual playing style I think is probably about right. Maybe a little bit of Brian Bickle sprinkled in in there too. I think the camping in front of the net and kind of using uh, your little bit of size to your advantage, get some physicality going. I definitely could see John Hayden embrace that role. And he's just, he's never going to be a top three forward. That's just not his game. I don't think that's his ceiling. And I think you're right. The sooner that he can kind of capture that identity of being that guy who's kind of your, you know, middle six forward gets to the front of the net, gets some greasy goals. As soon as he can become that guy and stop with the stick handling, oh look at me, I'm Alex DeBrincat stuff. <laughs> I think the better off he'll definitely be. Yeah, I, I, again, hopeful, uh, encouraged by what I've seen from him, but uh, just tone it down a little bit. You know, get your game uh, where it needs to be, and and I'm I'm confident he can do that. Uh, I just. He's like kind of the last guy to realize that he's not, uh, like you said, Alex DeBrinkett or Paul well, you've, you've been beating the John Hayden drum for the last like two years, man. We've been doing this podcast for a while, and I love that we have like these 
kind of like frames of reference now with what we've said previously, man. You've been a big John Hayden fan from day one. I would have thought he went to Notre Dame or something. Yeah, you think, right? Um, I, I, I want <laughs> they, they just need a guy like that so badly. That's all. Um, other thing I want to mention about last night, Yokoharu, who I thought was good, maybe not great. Um, I thought he actually looked better in a scrimmage game. I was really impressed with him in the scrimmage. Every time he was on the ice, I was focused on him, watching yep. what he was doing. Made really good decisions, sound decisions. I wrote about it for 670thescore.com, and I said he was unnoticeable in the best way possible, right? Like, there were no glaring mistakes. He was making safe plays. When the opportunity presented itself for him to mm-hmm. jump into the offense, he did, but he didn't force it. I really liked what I saw from him in that. After last night's game, Joel Quenville said he was excellent. And that, like, for Joel Quenville to go out of his way to praise a young player, to me, that that's that's remarkable, because he's not a guy that's going to heap high praise. I think ah, he was okay, you know, had some good moments. But he said the he used the word excellent to describe yeah. Yokoharu's game, and I was shocked when I saw that from Q. Well, I think the thing that really stood out to me last night for Yokoharu, and obviously this is kind of a product of the uh, preseason where you're going to see guys by necessity playing in roles that you may not necessarily see them play during the regular season. I love the fact that Yokoharu, A, had the most ice time of any player last night, played over 23 minutes total. But I also love that Joel Quenville used him extensively, not only on the power play where you can kind of assume that he's going to get uh, time when he gets to the NHL level because of just his offensive ability. That's why they drafted him was that he's that kind of a player. He can move the puck and do all that stuff at the blue line. I also love the fact they had him on the penalty kill too. Mm-hmm. Like just get him out there and get him into those situations because you never know when you're going to end up finding a guy who – you know, because of his athleticism or intelligence or whatever, could be a really good penalty killer. That is such a rare thing to find is a blue liner that can do both of those things. And the more reps that Yokoharu can get both on the penalty kill and the power play, and I thought he looked pretty decent on the penalty kill, to be completely honest with you. I thought that, like you said, he wasn't necessarily noticeable, but that can be a good thing in those kind of situations. You don't want a guy who's making like glaring mistakes out there. He didn't make any like particularly spectacular plays while he was out there, but he looked like he knew what he was doing. He didn't look like he was something like, you know, they pulled the janitor out of the stands and handed (laughs) him a stick, you know, like they, he really did look like he had at least an idea of what he was doing. And obviously there's some polishing there fine-tuning that needs to be done but I did appreciate the fact that Joel used him so extensively on both the power play and shorthanded like I said because you never know when you're going to find a gem in one of those areas well next segment uh we're going to continue talking about this game but next segment I spoke to someone in the organization about Yokoharu and uh they raised an interesting point and I want to discuss that a little bit um a couple other guys that stood out by the way uh, I I really uh, you talked about how I've been kind of a a uh, fan of John Hayden's Victor Edsel is a guy who I've really liked since he got here. And uh, a, a, another guy who stood out to me uh, in the scrimmage game and sort of last night, he's a guy that when you look at this sort of glut of like four a hockey players, right? Like, is this guy an NHL or I think Edsel definitely looks like a guy who's an NHL or on most teams. He's got some skill. He's got some size. Uh, I like the fact that he's being, pl- he's playing with some skilled players during camp so far of course all this stuff can change tomorrow if they wanted to um but i like what i've seen from him so far like overall i think i'm sort of encouraged by what i've seen from the young players again it's one preseason game and it's a training camp uh festival scrimmage so i'm not gonna go over my skis here 
But so far, so good. And we're going to see more from them tomorrow in Detroit and a couple other games coming up here. We'll have to analyze a little more, th- more thoroughly. But um, what I was afraid of was that the Hawks had a bunch of guys that were just kind of meh, right? It seems right. like some of these young players, while they may not be obviously at their potential just yet, they've got some young players that can actually be something. And uh, Cahoon, is that his name? Dominic Cahoon? Cahoon? I say it I wrong. Ca- I think it's Cahoon. Yeah, yeah, he's he's flashed a couple times too. Um, and I, I think that they're, that's a guy who's going to get a real look. That, Like you mentioned, Yokoharu playing top minutes. I feel like he's going to play most preseason games. He's going to get a full audition here. But I think Cahoon might be a guy who is in their plans, and they're going to see what he can do as well. Um, in the brief flashes I've seen from it, and it's, it's been positive. Um, a little more skill than I expected. Seems like a strong guy, like a strong skater. He's played pro hockey overseas for a while, so he's got that little bit of an advantage, a little bit more age than some other prospects. So uh, just an, another guy to keep an eye on. And while none of these guys are superstars, none of these guys are the next Artemi Panarin, there are a couple guys that look like they could be here you know, full-time, and that, that to me is encouraging. It was a little bit of a blind spot for my uh, radar coming into camp talking about Cahoon, and I definitely agree with you that it seems like the Blackhawks are kind of looking to give him a little bit of a fuller audition than perhaps I had expected yeah. during the preseason just because there are so many guys competing for a, kind of a limited number of jobs in the bottom six forward group, and that was kind of a guy – I didn't really pay enough attention to, I don't think, in the opening stages of camp, but obviously jumped onto my radar a lot last night, played over 18 and a half minutes, had an assist on Alexander 14's goal. I mean, he is definitely a guy that they're trying to use in different situations and clearly seeing where his skill set is. So that's a pretty good catch by you. And having seen him play a little bit now, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he can do for the rest of camp and to see if he can perhaps rest a uh, roster spot away from a guy like that we thought maybe had kind of a shoe in spot in that bottom six. Do you read into uh, like the Jersey numbers guys are assigned? <laughs> uh, I, I used to do that, but I also think nowadays, like so many guys kind of, you know, don't really care what their Jersey yeah. number is, especially if it's already taken by somebody else. It's like, are you talking about like Dylan Sakura wearing the number 95, for instance? That's different. But like when I see Cahoon wearing 24, that's not like 74, or like 73 or like, <laughs> you know, it's a number that is desirable in like most circles. So when I see a guy, I don't know, I'm, I'm definitely reading probably too much into it. But if I see a prospect in a number like that, like 24, that tells me that they see him as a potential roster player. Again, mm-hmm. maybe nothing. But he's not like some random, like, let's just grab two numbers out of the bin and hope they work kind of a number. Like <laughs> yeah. 24 is a number that's, you know, reserved for decent players, right? The immortal Bob Probert. He's actually not immortal because he's dead. But you know what I mean? He wore number wow. 24. <laughs> oh, my hey, God. <laughs> I, I wore Bob Probert's jersey at my wedding, man. I, I can say that. He's, I love the guy. By the way, he's in NHL 19. Very exciting. He's in, he's in NHL 19. I did not know that. Yeah, he's good too. He's like an 88 overall because they, you know, they jack him up a little bit for the, because he's like a. They have a new category in the game like called alumni, mm-hmm. so he's under the Red Wings alumni, and he's like an 88 overall. I was so excited was, when I saw him. Who was the last Blackhawk to wear the number 24? Um, Nick Boynton. Uh, no, there have been two Blackhawks that have worn the number since then. Okay, let me think. God, I'm usually good at this. 
obviously everybody knows that Doug Wilson and Bob Probert are probably the two main guys that yeah. have worn the number. And obviously my guy, Martin Havlad also wore it, but two other guys, one of which uh, was traded by the Blackhawks. And then one is kind of just a guy. Wow, I am usually so good at jersey numbers, and I'm totally blanking on this. Nordstrom this is my revenge was... for uh, last week when you uh, sprung the quiz <laughs> on me, and I failed at it horribly. Nordstrom was 42, so it wasn't him. That That is correct. And still, I love the fact that there was a guy named Joakim Nordstrom and Joakim Noah playing in Chicago at the same time, both born on the same day. All right, give me one more hint and see if I can get it. Uh, I'm trying to think of. the One of the guys was traded to the Canadians. Oh, uh, Deneau. Philip Deneau. And then the other guy, I'm actually going to look up to see how many games the other guy played with the Blackhawks. See if this is actually a fair. Okay, he played one game for the Blackhawks. (laughs) And who is that? Spencer Abbott. (laughs) Oh, yes. Who could forget? (laughs) Yeah, who can forget the uh, Hamilton, Ontario native? By the way, where is he at nowadays? That's right, nowhere. He's not, he's got to be in an AHL roster. He's one of those guys that just tears up the American Hockey League. He's like a Steve Malte, Malti, whatever his name is, type. Yeah. That just dominates the AHL and can't do crap in the NHL. He's one of those guys. He's played two like career NHL games. <laughs> now like, that's that's so crazy to me. Like it, he's not even listed on another AHL roster. I'm looking at his hockey reference page. He's nowhere. Well, that's sad. That is sad. Like, I, I thought, like, oh, yeah, he's probably tooling around, like, the KHL or something. Nah, man. Spencer Abbott apparently disappeared off the face of the earth. That one game with the Blackhawks fulfilled some lifelong dream of his, and now he's done. <laughs> Who could forget that one game with the Blackhawks? <laughs> what a day it was for all of us, really. He had, he had one shot on goal, attempted two shots, and played eight minutes and 24 seconds for the Blackhawks in 2016-17. Also had a takeaway. I, I think he deserves more of a shot. Sign him up. <laughs> All right. It's been a long time. We were 20 minutes into this thing almost. We've not taken a break yet. So let's take our first time out. When we come back, I'm going to let everybody know what I my person inside the Blackhawks had to say about Henry Yokoharu making the team. And, of course, we'll talk about Connor Murphy's injury and a whole bunch more. But first, got to tell you about our friends at Triple Threat Sports. They are the place to go if your team needs a jersey, you need uh, a logo design, you need hats, jerseys, uh, bags, whatever. Triple Threat Sports is the place to go. Visit triplethreatsports.com, 708-478-6090, or email chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. We'll be right back with more on Henry Yokoharu and Connor Murphy on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, the ultimate fan source of information for Spencer Abbott. And speaking (laughs) of players of that ilk, we need to check in, Jay, on a player that we brought up last year that has become a personal favorite of mine, and I've been following his career very closely, and that is none other than Riley Bourbonnet, formerly formerly of RPI, who... Finished up his college career in 2017, played some EH, ECHL time last year, had 23 goals and 19 assists for the Wheeling Nailers of the ECHL. Former team of and Scott Darling, the Wheeling Nailers. That's right. One of many. Uh, didn't he play on an SPHL team in Louisiana, too? Wasn't that a Scott Darling stuff? Yes. By the way, I'm sorry. I meant Lamont native Scott Darling. Oh, you forgot. See, you almost forgot. Yep. But it's okay. I'll forgive you. Thank you. 
Uh, he now, by the way, is with the Hartford Wolf Pack of the AHL. He's moving on up soon. We will see Bourbon A on an NHL jersey. I can't wait. I can't tell you how excited I am about that. Um, by the way, another guy we were excited about, Shaw Boomhauer. He was. Uh, oh, really, yeah. my God. You, you should have seen me at work today, Jay. You were crestfallen. Oh, uh, dude, I actually busted out my Hank Hill impression in sheer <laughs> shock that they cut Shaw Boomhauer. I totally went with the ball. I totally went with it, man. And my coworker Shelby was sitting behind me and knew exactly what I was doing. She's like, what happened to Shaw? And I was like, he got cut. It was a sad day at NBC Tower. We were all really rooting for Shaw Boomhauer. I'm sure she was very turned on by that very hip and erotic impression you just did. Um, all right. Well, who wouldn't be turned on by a man who loves propane and propane accessories? Strong point by you. I stand corrected. <laughs> All right, so talking to one of this my people. This is the dumbest podcast we've ever done. Well, we've got one preseason game to talk about. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> talk to a guy in the organization today um, about Yokoharu, just sort of talking about how he's looked and everything. Um, so, I'll share this um, conversation a little bit, as much as I can. Um, he said he's really looked good in camp uh, compared to last year when he could barely do a drill right. What a difference a year makes. Uh, he goes on to say, I hope they start him in the AHL because it's a hard position to play as a rookie. Um, but they probably won't because of the injuries and everything. So he'll probably start up and take forever to develop and probably never reach his true peak because he will just learn to survive rather than dominate. Now, that's something that we haven't really thought about. We talk about young players developing. Well, you know, what's better for a young player than to play at the NHL level against the best competition? And that's how they develop this person in the organization brought this up to me and it was something I never really thought about before is you know the great Blackhawks defensemen like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook played years in Norfolk and developed and then they came to Chicago and struggled mightily both of them early in their careers and then figured it out I think there is some value and I wonder if Connor Murphy was healthy and they you know Jan Ruda was healthy and Brent Seabrook was healthy if they would, in an ideal world, start Yokoharu in Rockford. I know we still don't have total clarity on if they can do that. Because Bowman was asked about that before training camp and said, we don't know, but we're, we'll deal with it when it happens. Like, okay. And that was one of the reasons I thought for sure that Yokoharu was going to make the team. Because Bowman seemed so unconcerned about his availability for Rockford. Um, but that's sort of a, a good point that I hadn't really thought of. Is it better for a guy to start at the NHL level and learn from mistakes? Or is it better to be in the American Hockey League, dominate, and hone the things you need to hone, then come up when you're more ready? I want Yokohara to make the team, but that's an angle I hadn't thought about. And the way he put it when he said he'll just learn to survive rather than dominate, that those words kind of sh they shook me a little bit. And I can see what that means, and I can see where he's coming from with that because um, that I think for a young player, even as someone as skilled as Yokoharu, to come out and start the season against you know the top NHL competition, he is going to be, in a, in a sense, trying to survive. Don't make mistakes, right? Stay within your system. Don't, don't take a chance that you shouldn't. That's not the instinctual game. That's not the player the Blackhawks drafted, right? He's going to adapt his game based on what the Hawks need from him right now as opposed to what serves his game best. So I wonder 
if getting your guy to the league too quickly, as much as we all want to see it as fans, may be in the long run detrimental. I thought that was a really interesting point. I think it's an interesting point, and I think there's definitely something to it, especially considering how these guys definitely see these players day in and day out a lot more than even you and I do, mm-hmm. like as observers of the team and people who host podcasts and write blogs and do all that stuff. The only thing I would caution against taking that kind of approach with Henry Yokoharu is this. How's the kid gloves approach working with Gustav Forsling so far? <laughs> it's hard to I, tell, I, but but you're right. It's and he was a guy who was considered like a lot of people talked about him like he could be the next Nicholas Jalmerson. Yeah, like I, there's no like one size fits all way of developing talent and like kind of getting the most out of players. And so I think at a certain point you do have to trust the organization to determine whether or not it would be better for Yokoharu to learn at the NHL level instead of continuing to ply his craft at the AHL level, assuming he's even eligible to do so. But that is what I would caution, is that you can't just automatically go, well, we don't want to, excuse me, run the risk of him not developing fully because he's trying to just survive at the NHL level. Honestly, like, I don't think that Alex DeBrincat would have benefited from going down to the AHL and playing with the Rockford Isogs for an entire season. I think they played his development exactly right and bringing him to the NHL level and moving him slowly up the depth chart from kind of a third-line guy up into more of a top-tier role. And I think that that's kind of the same attitude you're going to have to take with Henry Okaharu. You're going to have to evaluate whether or not it'd be better for him to learn certain facets of the game at the AHL level. And I'm not ruling that out as a strategy by any means. I just hope that the Blackhawks aren't going to rule out just letting him learn at the NHL level and potentially seeing that that could be the way to get the maximum out of his development. Well, a good example, and I know he's not a four or a defenseman, but Andrew Shaw was a guy who, when he was called up, was just sort of considered like, yep, this guy's going to come up and provide some sandpaper, and that's about it. And all of a sudden, the Hawks found that Andrew Shaw was a really valuable player. Like, there was really no drop-off between his AHL and NHL game. Like, the numbers sort of stayed the same. He was just as effective offensively. So you're right. It's not one-size-fits-all. My one concern is DeBrincat, Shaw, these guys are forwards. And there's a little bit less responsibility on them. There's also less of a spotlight when they make a mistake. When mm-hmm. Henry Yokoharu makes his first mistake this year, and he will, there's going to be a big spotlight on him because chances are a mistake made by a defenseman ends up in the back of the net, right? Whereas if Andrew Shaw or Alex DeBrinkett turn a puck over at center ice, there's a you know checks and balances behind them and Duncan Keith sure. or Brent Seabrook or whoever. When a defenseman screws up, it's, it's, it's more glaring. And this is when you get into the... Um, the mental toughness of a player like if he has a spell where like you know a span of three games where he's like minus six is that going to be something that affects him something that gets into his head from all I've seen from Henry Yokoharu from his time from the moment he's been drafted to today I see a mature kid that gets it and understands and I think what we've seen from him already this preseason sort of displays his maturity he knows that he's got a real chance to make this team but we're not seeing him go try to do crazy things to impress people. He's playing a solid, steady game. He knows that that's what it's going to take for him to make the team, and that to me shows a sign of mental toughness and mental maturity where, yeah, maybe he can go out and skate some circles around some of these other prospects, and he Mm -hmm. can try to put on a show and and do some spinoramas and stuff like that. Instead, he's doing what is the smart thing to do, playing sound defensively and letting the offense come. And as his career goes on, 
And as the season goes on, that offensive game will open itself up more. But I love the way he's approached this preseason so far, and I think that's a huge indicator of his uh, mental toughness and hockey intelligence. I certainly think that's fair, and I think that uh, the the discussion you had with the man from the organization who organization. you did not uh, identify, um, it, it's definitely worth considering. But I also would say, again, that this team's track record with developing defensive prospects has been less than stellar in the last decade or so. Would you agree with that? Yes. I'm, I'm okay. failing to think of a really good defenseman that they've developed in the last. So, you know, back to 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my point is not that they're like incompetent or bad at their jobs or whatever. My point is maybe you just need to think a little bit more outside of the box and not necessarily fall back on the conventional wisdom that he needs a year or two at the AHL level before you can expose him to the rigors of the NHL. And I know that yeah. the Blackhawks are not like necessarily building a defensive core that's designed to contend right now. They're definitely looking more two, three, four years down the line. And that's totally fine. Like that's a organizational philosophy and shift. And that's totally understandable. But I also would caution not to immediately deploy the kid gloves just because you've had those experiences with other players. I think that the way they've done this the last 10 years or so, maybe you need to think outside of the box just a little bit. Well, and I wonder if I wonder if the approach is changing. I, I think we're seeing this in, in a lot of sports, actually, where young players, be it hockey, basketball, baseball, football, they're coming out and they're contributing right away like how many 19 year olds are contributing in major league baseball now and how many i mean look at alex to is a great example 19 year old kid who is small by any sports standard came out and was the second leading scorer on the chicago blackhawks last year like young players are making impacts more quickly in sports than ever before and it has to do with the training it has to do with the nutrition it has to do with all the science that's gone into developing players since they were what i mean hockey players pretty much know if they have pro potential from what age 11 age 12 they've yeah. got a pretty good idea if they're going to be pros or not so it's you can't compare it to the 80s and 90s or even the early 2000s just sports medicine has changed so much and there isn't such a huge jump anymore and younger players in all sports are ready to contribute right away uh, more than ever before so right about right. the like, only exception to that is the nfl but i and i would also say that uh at least in terms of baseball, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, expense of the players. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about how guys or teams are kind of gaming the system to pay guys less to contribute more. And then in the NHL, it's a little bit of that, but it's also mainly the fact the game has changed. It used to be a much more physical game, and now the game's a lot more wide open and a lot more offensive. So... It has been fascinating to watch kind of the evolution of these sports. And like you said, the young guys kind of come up and make an immediate impact instead of kind of having to pay their dues and get in in two to three years after they're drafted. Yeah, I, I think it's a good thing. And I'm really excited to see um, Yokoharu um, start his career on the Blackhawks. I'm That to me is really exciting and it makes this season instantly more interesting. All right, time for another timeout. Uh, promise we talk about Connor Murphy I have a little story about Connor Murphy. I don't know if it's going to add anything to the injury stuff, but I've got a little something that I think is noteworthy, uh, and then we'll uh, get ready to answer some of your emails on the other side. 
You're listening to Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, which is brought to you by our friends at Mariska's, 604 Theodore Street in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. We tell you every week, every episode about the poor boys, about the steaks, about the chops, everything at Mariska's is outstanding. Uh, you will love it. It is a place that has been managed with love and care for a very long time, and it shows Joe and his family out there uh, holding it down, doing a great job. Head out to Crest Hill. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family to go out to a uh, quality meal. Places like Mariska's are rare these days. Uh, It's a true old-school supper club with old-school cooking methods and just terrific food. So check them out, 604 Theodore Street. Hit them up on mariskas.com or facebook.com slash mariskas. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So go see Joe and our friends at Marishka's. That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S, 604 Theodore Street in Crest Hill. We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, where we broke down extensively, probably more extensively than I thought we would, the Blackhawks' first preseason game. We also talked a little bit about the organization's philosophy with some of its young players, including Henry Yokoharu. Now we're going to get into some talk about some of the veterans on the team who are a little bit banged up and maybe a little bit more banged up than we had originally anticipated. We're going to do a little bit of an injury roundup here. We're going to start with the big news of today, which is that Connor Murphy's timetable has been shifted slightly. Originally, the team said he'd be out about eight weeks, but today Dr. Michael Terry issued a bit of a caveat to that which is that Murphy is going to be reevaluated after six weeks of rest. And if he is not where they think he needs to be, then he could be sidelined for an additional couple of weeks. So his timeline originally was about eight weeks to return from the back injury. Now it's about eight to 12 weeks. So you went from potentially getting him back maybe in November to now between November and December. So not great news for the Blackhawks. Obviously, they had some high hopes for Connor Murphy this season, especially with some of the steps backward that other guys on this blue line have taken. And kind of stinks that you're not going to have him on the ice for the start of the regular season. It's definitely a blow to the team. For sure. And look, I don't want to blow this out of the proportion, whatever. Uh, I was at the Cubs game a week ago. A week ago, today's Wednesday, the 19th, so I was there on the 12th, and I sat very close uh, to the field, and about four rows in front of me was Connor Murphy wearing a Daniel Murphy Cubs jersey, because you see they have the same name, Um, and smiling, having a good time. Uh, I saw him move up and down the stairs several times, like to go to the washroom, go get concessions quickly. I didn't notice any sort of you know, uh, inhibited movements, anything like that, anything you'd see from someone who's got a 12-week back injury, I would like to know how this happened. Um, We didn't hear anything about it until camp opened. And just to remind people, camp had not opened on Wednesday yet. So um, they were opening, I believe it was either, I think it was Thursday. Was the, or no, Friday was the opening of camp, and then the scrimmage game was Saturday because the scrimmage was the second day of camp. So this was two days before... Uh, the Hawks had a report and all that stuff. I wonder if he got hurt training. I wonder if he got hurt uh, taking a physical. It's very strange. Like, this was not the guy. And look, I know that injuries can hide themselves. Like, you can, a guy can have something wrong with him and look normal to the naked eye. But I saw a guy moving up and down stairs. The stairs at Wrigley are big. Like, they're, you know, they're probably, what, like three feet long each step. So it, it takes a big stride to get up and down those stairs. And I saw him attacking one stair at a time and sort of like 
a half run seemed fine. And I'm not saying that anything untoward happened, but something happened to me seemingly between Wednesday and Friday. And I'd like to know exactly what happened that got Connor Murphy injured because the guy I saw at the Cubs game was not injured. He was not uncomfortable. He was turning around, talking to people behind him in his chair, just having a normal night. And uh, I was very surprised after seeing that to hear that he was hurt in that severely. Yeah, that was uh, kind of a last minute, kind of abrupt thing. Like it, it definitely took everybody by surprise that at least I had seen. I did not uh, see any reports during camp that he uh, was dealing with any type of injury or anything like that. So it was certainly surprising to see his name pop up. Like you, a thing like Brent Seabrook, abdominal injury, it's probably something that kind of popped up during training, whatever. Like it's a week or two kind of injury, and he was back in a couple of days. A 12-week back injury is a whole different animal and was definitely a surprise to me. And like you said, my thinking is he probably just heard it kind of in training, maybe injured it during the physical. Wasn't there a player in, I want to say it was an Ottawa senator maybe that got injured during his physical this year as well? Like I'm I'm wondering what, what could you possibly be doing during a physical that would lead to a 12-week back injury? Did you try to do one too many pull-ups where you like doing sit-ups and somebody decided it'd be funny to put a you know razor sharp spike under your back. <laughs> like I have absolutely no idea what could have possibly happened, but yeah, that was definitely bizarre. And I did not know that you had seen Connor Murphy at the uh, Cubs game. So I think until proven otherwise, until we know exactly what happened, and God knows the transparency the organization is showing now with injuries, which, by the way, we haven't even brought that up yet. So let's talk about that in a second. But I think until further notice, we have to blame you. Oh, that's fair. I <laughs> I, I must have, like, looked at him and injured his back. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. like Or, no, he, like, whipped his head around and was like, is that Jay Zawoski of the Mad Out Chicago Hockey oh. podcast? You know what's really and- funny? I, I did, <laughs> I'm, it's funny you said that. So this weekend I went to I said I went to the uh, on Friday went to the uh, Hawks training camp festival. Uh, that was Saturday. Friday night I went to see Jason Isbell at um, the Auditorium Theater. Does he play anywhere other than Chicago? I feel like you go to a lot of Jason Isbell. Every concerts. time he's here, I see him. That's okay. Yeah, that's my policy. Uh, same with Lydia Lovis, who I'm seeing on Monday. Anyway, so I'm Thanks at for the, the invite, bro. Yeah, whatever. Uh, name a song. Go. That's what I thought. Okay, so I'm at the Isbell concert, and I get recognized by five people. Are you Jay? Are you Jay Zawoski? One guy, I was standing in line to get a Coke because I was not in the mood to drink, believe it or not. Um, Cut through the line and then, like, stopped, turned around. He's like, Zawoski? I'm like, yep. He's like, cool. And then, like, left again. Um, So five people at the Jason Isbell concert recognize me. I will challenge you. How many people recognize me? The host of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, 670 Discourse Hockey Analyst and Columnist. How many people recognize me at the Blackhawks Training Camp Festival? What is your guess? Uh, I'm going to guess that Ponytail Dave ran up to you and gave you a big <laughs> giant hug and that was it. I wish he had. The answer is zero. <laughs> Not a single person uh, recognized me. And I, I don't care. I don't. I never expect to be recognized. But I thought like coming off a night where five people recognize me at a place that was not like necessarily somewhere that they'd be looking for me, I guess you'd say. 
Um, I thought that was surprising. I thought it was interesting. I was like, wow, that many people recognize me at a concert. Like, tomorrow's going to be crazy. And it was And today on Jay Zawaski Humble Brags about how famous he is. Yeah, I'm super famous. I'm famous in the, the following circles. Um, Chicago Blackhawks hockey fans, which is a shrinking circle. <laughs> and yeah. fans of independent uh, alter- alternative country. Two of the biggest booming industries this country has to offer, my friend. I am a yeah. huge celebrity, let me tell you. Yeah, it's beating off uh, groupies what? with a stick. And... I don't beat anyone off anymore, damn it. I'm married now. Ah, zing. Uh, all right, so we uh, before we get to uh, Corey Crawford, I sort of buried the lead here. Uh, James and I, we have a new feature on the podcast. We have voicemails. That's right. That, that is right. You can call us up and leave us a voicemail. Here are the rules. Keep it clean as best you can if it's anything really bad i'll beep it keep it concise i don't want a three minute rambling i want something like 15 to 30 seconds that i can play and we can respond to so maybe write it out before you leave it if you want to leave us a voicemail 708-713-5324 708-713-5324 we set this up through google voice which i didn't even know was a thing until i started googling like free voicemail services and there it is. So give us a call, 708-713-5324. Leave us a 15 to 20-second message. Obviously, let us know your name, where you're from, all that good stuff. And we'll start playing them as part of our podcast every week. Should be fun. Yeah, um, that was a thing that we kind of spoke into existence. I think I randomly like brought that up to you, Jay, that we could potentially do something like that. It had been something that had been percolating around in your head, too, and then Jay did what he does best, and he Googled it, and he figured it out. <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> yes. I Googleized so, it. So we have now spoken this into existence, and another thing we spoke into existence, and I'm sure people saw on Twitter, I made this, or on Facebook, I made this comment that on last week's show, we were deriding the Blackhawks for a lack of transparency with injuries and that kind of stuff, and then lo and behold, they get to trading camp the next day, and now all of a sudden... It's a policy of the team that they're going to tell you exactly what the injury is that a player is dealing with. And that has continued because they literally sent an email today saying that Jan Ruda was day to day with a groin injury. And I was like, we have truly gone through the looking glass now. This team all of a sudden is being transparent. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Jay. You and I made it happen. Well, in fairness, you made it happen because I'm like the lone person that doesn't care about this. I couldn't care less that they didn't tell you specifically what's wrong with the player. I think the Corey Crawford thing aside, that's different. We're talking about a franchise player with an injury that was stretching over the period of what, eight months with no update. That's different. But in season, if Jonathan Taves has a short, a sore left shoulder, I don't see reason to tell Brad Marchand about Jonathan Taves sore left shoulder. I don't see the benefit of that. So I got the secrecy and I understood it and it didn't bother me. I'm glad they're telling us. I think it's better that we know for your and I, you know, for the podcast purposes and for my purposes at the score and yours at NBC. I don't think it benefits the players in any way. Um, and all it does in my mind is put a target on said injury. So I never had a problem with then keeping specific injuries private. I'm glad they're doing it now, but it never really bothered me the way it bothered a lot of other people that cover the team. 
All I heard was that I called something into existence and it worked. I you missed did. everything else that you said. So well, it's totally gonna... true. <laughs> you get all credit for that. Yeah, I I am the king of reverse jinxes and now apparently the king of forcing the Blackhawks to change longstanding organizational policies. So now that I've brought that up, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that they need to uh, get rid of Hawk Vision or whatever it was that <laughs> Dollar Pill Words had back in the 90s. Let's uh, never speak of that again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, before we get to emails, we do need to uh, do one other thing, which is our Corey Crawford update, which is kind of surprising we haven't touched on this yet, considering how big of a deal this is and for their season overall. Corey Crawford uh, has been skating for the most part. I think they said he's done five out of six or six out of seven days. He's done some on ice work. And today, very brief, I think it was like 15 minutes or so that he was out on the ice. And uh, Joel Quinville said he will not skate tomorrow. So clearly taking it easy on him. Any cause for concern yet that he hasn't been uh, ramping up a little bit more than this? Um. I'm not ready to say he's not. I think that, I think there's a plan. I think there's a, an established plan to get him back. Um, I think going hard one day, taking it easy the next day, doesn't necessarily mean that it's not ramping up. I think they're just being safe. And I'm not as – look, now that we know what it is and now that we know that he'll be back when he can be back, I don't feel the need to, like, revisit it every podcast because I think it just kind of is what it is. I'm glad they're taking their time. I'm glad they're being understanding. I'm glad they're not trying to pressure him to come back before he's ready. Those are sort of my fears. Was Because remember, in the offseason, the conversations were, you know, are they trying to make uh, like to humiliate him and embarrass him? Do they not believe that he's really hurt? Do they truly not know what's going on? Um, I think those questions have kind of been answered, and now we know what it is. We know what he's dealing with. They said he'll be here for training camp, and he was. He's not ready to play, <laughs> but he was there at training camp because that's what they, they said. We expect him to be here, and he was there. So um, I'm glad to see him out there more days than not. If we see you know two, three days off in a row, then I think it's room for concern, but I think an off day here or there or a less intense day uh, mixed in with some intense days, I don't think that makes a huge – I don't think that doesn't concern me very much. It's, it's, it's if we see extended – days off where I would start where that would you know put a red red flag up for me I am not an emailer so I shouldn't have gotten to ask you that question I suppose however (laughs) I think it's a perfect opportunity for us to welcome in the real emailers and answer some questions how does that sound let's do it Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email segment, as always, is brought to you by our tasty friends at Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. Do you like Mexican food? Of course you do. You're a warm-blooded American or something. Do you like barbecue? Who doesn't? Do you like Cajun food? Of course. Do you like wings and burgers and, and beer? Hell yeah, you do. Well, you're going to love Chuck's because all that stuff and more is there for you. Uh, The daily specials are where Chuck's really uh, raises the bar as a restaurant option. Uh, My favorite is the Saturday special, the Coach Anita Pabil. But anything from an intense, exotic Mexican dish like that to barbecue nachos, everything on the menu is spectacular. Go to Chuck's, check them out. Again, Burbank, Darien, chuckscafe.com you'll see all the menus you'll see all the specials 
pick the day you want to try the special and go there. You'll be back again and again. We love our friends at Chuck's. Can't wait to be back there very, very soon. All right. First email. Excuse me. Just had a Diet Coke and I'm a little bubbly. Okay. (laughs) Alex from Oklahoma says, hello, James and Jay. How are y'all doing? We're good. He says, after being reminded of Jay's dislike of Chris Chelios on the recent podcast, who are other players don't have to be former Blackhawks that you don't care for? Mm, Well, I mean, Mm. I'm pretty sure some of these things are pretty obvious. Like if I say the name David Backus, I have a visceral hatred of that guy. I don't like him at all. Yep. I I would not be sad if uh, Milan Lucic was involved in an unfortunate uh, accident with a moose. Um, that would not be an accident from him. Ah, got him. I am not an Ian Cole fan. Don't particularly like him either. I'm trying to think of like former players that kind of got under my skin. I mean, there's the obvious ones like Rafi Torres, who yeah. I've always fantasized about hitting with like one of those like mallets that a clown swings around. I think that'd be fun. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like sure. guys that I don't like that don't deserve it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm I think Ian Cole like, is, pr- is probably a good oh, one. Dude, you know who my all-time least favorite athlete is, and I just really don't have a whole lot of rational reasons why? Adam Eaton. Good God. I, ugh, I, I get sick when I think about Adam Eaton. Screw that guy. Well, mine is also not hockey, and mine is also baseball. Mine is Ryan Dempster. Oh. Go away with you your phony like ass. You don't like Harry Carey impression? Uh, actually, it's a Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey impression. And second of all, uh, I have the uh, the distinct pleasure of working in media and getting to know some of these guys behind the scenes. When he was a player, total chode. Total chode. He's been better in retirement. Good, Easy to deal with, nice guy, whatever. And a lot of players reinvent themselves after they retire. But when he was a player, just not a just kind of a dick. So yeah. uh, not a big fan of his. I will say uh, meeting Jeremy Roenick has been one of the biggest disappointments of my life. Not that he was necessarily like a jerk, but just kind of like too cool for the room. But he'll still be the reason I, I started to love hockey, and I'll never let that go. But uh, I'm trying to think of like guys I just don't like. Like if, <sighs> There used to be a lot. Like Patrick Poulin was a Blackhawk when I like started be- started being a fan, and I never liked him. Um. I don't know. There's not a lot of guys around the league I just hate for no reason. Like, there, there's definitely, like, like you said, like Bacchus or Rafi Torres. Like, those guys have done something for me to yeah. dislike them. There's no one I'm just kind of like, ugh, screw that guy for no real reason. Definitely hate Corey Perry. Yeah, uh, but he's, again, he's yeah. He's water, basically. Um, yeah, boy, I wish I had a better answer for you there. Yeah, I just, I... I really have no reason to hate Adam Eaton other than what kind of grown man like calls himself spanky and is okay with it. Yeah, like Nick Swisher type guy. Ugh. Yeah. Um, oh, and Adam of... and Adam Dunn can suck a butt. <laughs> okay. He did for a long time on the south side. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, Henrik Zetterberg calls it a career. Uh, that is a guy who I always liked, despite him being on the Red Wings. Uh, always liked his game. Awesome two-way player. Uh, would do things that would dazzle you. I think later in his career, he sort of lost the spotlight to Datsuk, who was a flashier player than he was. I compare Zetterberg and Datsuk a lot to Iserman and Fedorov, where at the time, Fedorov kind of got like the spotlight because of how electrifying he was, but Iserman was such a great player. Uh, and I think now that his car- their, both of their careers are over, Iserman is getting the credit 
that he deserves. But uh, Zetterberg Overrated. was Steve Eiserman. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my god, I was gonna drive to Bourbon A and then stop at the world's best B Dubs, eat, and then come and beat the <laughs> hell out of you. <laughs> Sucks to see him leave the game. You want to see guys retire like on their own terms. And the fact that he can't play anymore because of injury is that sucks. Even like Chris Pronger, who I didn't like, I didn't want his career to end like that. He was too good of a player uh, and too good of a personality, really, to have his career end in such a crappy way. You know, I, I want to see guys like retire on their own terms. I hate when any athlete is forced to retire because of their body just won't let them play anymore. That sucks. I completely agree, and the only thing that I will say that you did not mention with Henrik Zetterberg is, God, that man could rock a beard. Oh, Super he's a... jealous of his beard ability, man. So handsome, by the way. Just as sexy. so. Oh, good God. Good Lord. Uh, our buddy Joe Cromwell, this is not an email, but he gave us an Alex DeBrinkett bobblehead from the uh, tournament, from the yeah. Prospects uh, camp. By the way, delighted my daughter, Addie, because Alex DeBrinkett's bobblehead is stick-handling a ball of yarn. Because, get it, because he's a cat. Oh, my God. Then call him the cat. Or <laughs> yeah. call him whatever. Don't call him Brinksy hey, for Brinksy. God's sake. Yeah. Uh, so Joe Cromwell has donated that to our eventual charity event um, that's still to be announced. We're working on it. Um, but it's happening. It's going to be at Rabbit Brewing in Homewood. It's coming soon, probably November. Uh, just got four copies of NHL 19 in the mail, courtesy of the people at Electronic Arts, EA Sports, hooking us up for the second year in a row. Uh, the Blackhawks have already pledged to help us out with uh, tickets or jerseys or something. Um, the Chicago Wolves has pledged their support, so lots of things uh, on the horizon for that event. If you want to donate, every $5 gets you an entry in a raffle. You don't have to be there to win. Every penny we raise goes to my friend Andy Garcia, who lost his wife to cancer. Uh, I think it was nine months after she gave birth to twins leaving Andy behind with three children uh, to care for on his own. And every penny we raised at that event will go to Andy and his family. Madhouse, uh, I'm sorry, GoFundMe.com slash MadhousePod. Every penny earned on the GoFundMe uh, goes to Andy's family. $5 gets you an entry. So if you pledge 10 that's 2 15 that's 3 and so on and so on and so on. So let's help them out. If you want to just pledge support to the podcast every month, Look, if everyone pledged a dollar a month on our Patreon site, James and I would be very, very happy. We'd be rich. <laughs> We'd be not rich, but better off than we are now. <laughs> uh, a dollar a month goes a long way if enough people do it. So patreon.com slash madhousepod if you want to pledge monthly, a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, whatever. Every penny helps. Um, and a good chunk of that money goes to the podcast, equipment, uh, travel, events like you know james and i'll probably have to buy some food for this event we're having uh all that comes from our patreon so either way help out andy help out us whatever you want to do do both uh everything is appreciated next email all is... i heard was party bus to a rockford isogs game when you were talking about our patreon that dude that sounds like a great idea see i am a, i'm a genius oh let's not go nuts okay uh, adult haircut Dave, our guy. Oh. He says, I'm feeling very apprehensive about the beginning of the season. Can you give me three reasons that the Blackhawks can be can contend for a playoff spot this year? And Jay, can you Google the last time the Blackhawks ended the preseason with three straight home games? No, I cannot because I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> three... Hey, Jay, I'm going to cut you off like adult haircut Dave did to his ponytail. Yes, ah! thank you. 
All right, three reasons for optimism. You want to go first? Uh, well, I mean, optimism. piece of optimism, number one, is seeing if uh, Alex Dabrinkit and Nick Schmaltz can take another step forward. I had a lot of fun watching those guys last year. Really, to me, were kind of the highlights of what was otherwise a lost season. And getting to watch them continue on this road into the NHL, I think, is definitely a reason why I'm going to be tuning in in, in the current season. Uh, I agree with that one. I think the fact that Corey Crawford is skating now could indicate that he'll be on the team and playing for the bulk of the year. I think that's a reason for optimism. Um, I think another one for me is... Cheap tickets to games. Well, that... But I, I think another one for me is is uh, that Jonathan Taves is Jonathan Taves. And I think that that's a dude who takes a lot of pride in what he does and probably is a little bit embarrassed about how his last couple of seasons have gone. And I'd be surprised if he does not have some bit of a resurgence this year. And I think Brandon Saad is probably uh, on deck for the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Anything Definitely else? I uh, agree g- with both of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think those are some pretty good ones. I think obviously – uh, kind of going into this season a little bit more under the radar. I always love when teams kind of come out of nowhere and surprise you. And maybe the Blackhawks have that in them this year. I mean, maybe they're being underestimated by everybody, kind of including us, honestly. I would love nothing more than to see them come out and kind of prove us wrong. And I always love that kind of underdog mentality in a team. When you've, you, It's funny. You've heard them sort of allude to that a little bit. Like, uh, people might be overlooking us or thinking we're done. Um these Hawks are hearing what people are saying about them. Like, there's no doubt about Like, don't forget, a lot of these guys are the same ones that won three Stanley Cups and did it with guts and ferocity and want to and will. Um, and my, maybe that fire doesn't burn quite as hot as it used to, but um, they're prideful guys, and they care about what they do, and, and I think we're going to see a bit of a bounce back from a lot of, like, the core guys this year. You see Brent Seabrook, who is – you hear this every camp and every sport in the, quote, best shape of his life. But I've seen Brent Seabrook, and I've never seen him look as fit as he looks right now. So um, there are some reasons for feeling okay, for not feeling terrible. And I think suddenly, like, the defensive depth is a little better than maybe we expected. Even with Murphy out, Yokoharu looks like if he makes the team, it's not going to be like, okay, let's hope this goes all right. He seems to actually look ready. And maybe even if Murphy was healthy, he'd still make the team. Um, and I think Eric Gustafson sort of growing and becoming a guy that they rely on more often instead of sporadically is going to be a good thing. There, there are some reasons for optimism. I don't think they're cup contenders, but I would not be surprised if they're a playoff team, especially if Crawford is there for 80% of the year, 70% of the year. If, if you know, Cam Ward can be, you know, a decent hold-it-down kind of guy, then they got a shot. You said it perfectly, my man. They, I don't think they're a cup contender, even if Corey Crawford comes and blows the doors off the United Center. But it's not particularly out of the realm of possibility for them to snag a wild card spot or maybe even sneak into that number three spot in the West if kind of everything uh, breaks their way. All right, last email comes from our guy uh, Spike T. So says, hey, guys, I hope Crawford is getting better and can return, but I have my doubts. If Crawford is done, which would be crushing, I think I have a fix. Offer of draft picks and prospects for both Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin. The only thing is figuring out how to make it work in the salary cap. The Hawks need a blockbuster trade like this. What do you think? It was funny. Last night, Eddie Owen Foley talked about this a lot. They spent the better, what, probably two-thirds of the third period talking about how Columbus knows that 
Panarin's gone. I mean, that's a given. He's basically said, like, I'm going to leave. Uh, but Brodsky's not been quite that committing, committal to leaving. But that's another guy looking at a huge deal as an unrestricted free agent. And they don't want to be what the Islanders are with John Tavares, where their best player just goes. So I, I'd be shocked if, if neither of those guys are. I think they're both going to get traded this year unless Columbus looks like a really strong cup contender, which I know they took the Caps. They took it. You know, it was a good series against the Capitals, but I don't think they're Stanley Cup contenders just yet. Um, so I think they need to get something for Panarin and for Bobrovsky if they're going to walk. And, and I think you see both those guys traded. I think for the Hawks to get them is pretty unrealistic. Yeah. If they want to get Panarin, it's going to cost Schmaltz and or to bring it. And why would you do that? Right. And and it's, Panarin's also going to get 9 to $10 million as a free agent. Yeah, forget that. They yeah. can't afford that. And giving up that price for a rental would be silly. Yeah. I Again, if it, you know, if you still had Taves and Kane and those guys like in their prime, Keith and Seabrook in their primes, like it was 2013, you felt like you needed that one extra piece to get over the hump. Maybe you give up your two top prospects to make it happen. But I think at this point in the organization, they need Schmaltz and they need to bring it to be the next wave of dominant Blackhawks forwards. And so far, it looks pretty good. Um, I don't know if they'll ever get quite to the level of Kane or Taves when they were at their peak, but you can have two like legit top three forwards on your team for the next 10 years if you keep those guys. And I think they should and will do everything they can to keep those guys locked up long term. I'm going to quote a very popular Disney movie and what I'm going to say in response to this question. Let it go. Artemi Panarin is not the answer here. You do not need to trade for him and sign him to a free agent deal. Surprisingly enough, there are other forwards in the NHL that the Blackhawks could potentially make moves and get if they really feel like they need to add another scorer. I think that the price would be too high for Artemi Panarin. I mean, I know he's obviously a very strong player, but there is a reason the Blackhawks got rid of him. It wasn't because he was a one-trick pony, in the immortal words of Jay Zawoski. They gave him up because they knew they could not afford to re-sign him, and they wanted cost certainty and tenure of contract in the form of Brandon Saad, and that's why they made the deal. Undoing that and trading away a player of the caliber of DeBrinket or Schmaltz to get it done would be a really silly move by Stan Bowman and one that I don't think would necessarily fit the kind of mold that he's kind of cast during this offseason, which has not been to operate with a particularly strong sense of urgency. You can't look at Brandon Manning and Cam Ward and Chris Kunitz and tell me that this team is eager and ready and willing to go out and win a Stanley Cup right damn now. To me, it indicates that they're looking for some placeholder guys, and Artemi Panarin certainly does not fit that bill. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do think the Hawks do this to themselves a little bit by constantly training for old players where fans just think it's going to happen all the time. Um, Panarin's great, and he's a really good player, and I was wrong about him. I'll be the first guy to admit it. Um, but there, like you said, there's no way. There's no way they can acquire him, and even if they do, there's no way they lock him up long term. There's no way. And and look, you need, uh, aside from Schmaltz and Debrinkit, if you want to tag those guys and not trade them by any means, make them unavailable, okay, then it's going to take Yokoharu and Bo- Boquist and Bodan, these top-flight defensive prospects. To me, 
those five, I'll go, I'll say four. Yokoharu, Boquist, Schmaltz, Debrinkit should be as close to untouchable for this organization as you can get. I'm not saying five years ago or six years ago they would be, but looking at the status of the organization now, I think those guys, barring a major signed, cheap, young superstar coming back, which I don't even know who that would be, um, you don't trade any of those four because they are essential to the next decade of your franchise. Yeah, I mean, they're the they're absolutely the foundation that they're going to have to build upon, especially with some of the more expensive contracts that the team currently has on the books. You need guys like that to produce and getting rid of them to get a guy like Artemi Panarin or anybody of that kind of similarity. Just I think it'd be silly and I think it would be counterproductive and it, it honestly would just defeat the entire purpose of what Stan Bowman has been trying to do this offseason. So as much as everybody kind of is fantasizing about this Artemi Panarin reunion, I once again reiterate, just let it go. It's yep. not going to happen, and it's not the right thing for the team to do. I agree. I agree. All right. Really good episode. I really enjoyed that. I think for having one game under our belt, you and I got to a lot of stuff. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for making it work tonight on a busy night with a late Cubs game. I know you need to be uh, pretty tuned in, too. Remember, you can leave us a voicemail, 708-713-5324. 708-713-5324. I will tweet that out from the Madhouse Podcast account. If you don't follow us on Twitter, and why wouldn't you? It's twitter.com slash madhousepod. We update all of our latest episodes on there, everything on there. You want to help out my friend Andy, you want to enter into our charity raffle we're going to have here in a couple months, gofundme.com slash madhousepod. Every $5 gets you an entry. You want to help out James and I and the podcast that way, patreon.com slash madhouse pod we appreciate any sort of pledge you can make to the podcast we are revamping our reward system uh we had some t-shirts some koozies some things to give away we're going to sort of rework that whole thing um because we ran into some issues with things getting lost in the mail and not showing up and blah 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 so that's going to be reworked um but we will find a way to thank you um for your donations on patreon jay will come dance at your wedding that's for sure i'll do that i'll do that for free Um, But until (laughs) next time, thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, which has been brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. Mariska's and Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. And Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. Visit chuckscafe.com for more information. They are in Burbank and Darien, chuckscafe.com. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. For my partner, James Nemo, 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 Nemo. James Naveau, I am Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hot flashes, irritability, intimate dryness, even unsatisfying sex. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck, a board-certified OBGYN who has spent over 20 years helping women just like you safely find relief from these very natural symptoms without having to resort to hormones. To help my patients feel their best, I recommend products from Bonafide Health. Bonafide is a women's health company dedicated to providing women with non-hormonal and clinically validated products that work. Bonafide provides safe and effective solutions to manage a range of 
postmenopausal, sexual health, and PMS-related symptoms. That's why I recommend Bonafide products to my patients every day. In fact, I am also a Bonafide medical advisor. What I like most is that Bonafide products provide women real relief without compromise. Ladies, don't waste another minute feeling less than your best. Go to HelloBonafide.com and use code RADIO39 to save 20%. That's HelloBonafide.com and code RADIO39. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Offer valid on subscription only. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg. And real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm. Mmm. Grilled onions. And a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. Ba-ba-ba-ba. I participate in McDonald's.